With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Hey, if you love Latina to Latina, and I know you do, and you want to support the show, it's as easy as listening on Radio Public, a free, super easy app that works on iPhone and Android. When you listen to Latina to Latina on Radio Public, we earn a little bit with every episode you hear. Thanks for listening and for loving the show. I think of myself as an extremely optimistic person. Like, I don't think you can get up every day and do this work unless you believe deeply that impossible things are completely possible and that you are the person who should try to make them possible. Jess Morales Raquetto, a rebel-rousing digital strategist and community organizer, helped Barack Obama get reelected in 2012 and worked on Hillary Clinton's historic 2016 presidential campaign. Now she's the political director at the National Domestic Workers Alliance and co-chair of the Families Belong Together campaign to fight family separation. Whether talking about the 2020 presidential field, the art of keeping activism personal, or dealing with professional heartbreak, Jess holds no punches. When I asked you how I should describe the work you do, you told me you like to think of yourself as a, quote, political lady about town. <laughs> I still have no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't, I think I really reject being put in a box. I think because I spent the first part of my career doing digital work. And the way that people think about digital work, it's like you write the tweets, you like send the emails. And I always thought of myself as just somebody who like motivated people Asked them to do things that, like, were for causes they cared about, made an impact. And I just really rejected that label. Now that I've made the transition not into digital work and I sort of just do political things in the world, I, like, really reject, like, a title. Also, I have, like, five titles because, like, why do one thing when you can have, like, when you can do, like, six things? <laughs> okay. So I'm just sort of like a, you know, if there's politics, I'm there. Okay. 
I do want to start with the digital organizing, Mm -hmm. in part because you're the first digital organizer I've ever had on the show. Mm -hmm. What does good digital organizing look like? um, I wish more people asked me that question. (laughs) To me, it is the principles of community organizing. So you know about a lot of community organizers in the world, probably. Cesar Chavez, Martin Luther King. Maybe you've gotten some really deep cuts and you've like heard about Saul Alinsky. Um, <laughs> perhaps. I thought you were, that was a twist where you're going to be like, a little guy named Barack Obama. <laughs> sure, him too. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of him. So those people all thought about how do you get ordinary people to be involved in ordinary problems, right? The problems in their communities. And how do you give them the leadership and skills to be able to take the power that they have inside of themselves and fix their pothole or elect a candidate or change legislation, right? Like the way I think about it is like every good thing that we've ever gotten is basically because of community organizing. In the year 2019, that's on the internet. Right. Or if you don't do it on the internet, you're doing the real true Lord's work. A lot of those like old school names I just gave you, those are people who are trying to get you to come to a meeting and then trying to get more people to come to a meeting. And then we would go to strike on a picket line. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get millions of people to sign a petition at one time so that we can get 21 Savage released from detention tomorrow. And that to me is like very, very exciting because it's all that like beautiful transformative principles that come from community organizing, but with like a speed and scale and impact that is not possible without the internet. But like all good organizing and all good things probably kind of generally, it lives with relationships. And I think a lot of people think it's like you tweet something or like even you sign a petition or you donate. But actually what I'm trying to do is like motivate people into their purpose and to find other people, whether that's their Twitter friend or their real life friend. Right. And get them involved as well. And then I think together it's like more fun and also more impactful. How did you learn how to do this? I didn't know how to do it, actually. And I was lucky that I had sort of rode the wave of people being like, who knows how to use the Internet? (laughs) (laughs) Me. Um, And I was like a weird kid and like was really into AOL chat rooms. I made little like online magazines with like my little online friends I'd never met. I don't know that that makes you a weird kid so much as it makes you just an old millennial. Totally. Oh, yeah. Classic old millennial. Yes. A hundred percent. So, Because I'm like, if that's weird, we were all we're weird. All weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had done a lot of stuff on, like, message boards. I was really into, like, TV shows that I liked and uh, fandom. And I, like, got that, like, oh, the Internet can be a place where you can interact with something so much bigger than you. The best example I have of that is when I was, like, 19. I became the Internet spoiler for my favorite TV show, which was So You Think You Can Dance. <laughs> True story. True story. And I used to go to the tapings and I have like a photographic memory almost and I could remember like everything. And at the end of the tapings, I would get home and I would furiously type out like everything, their outfits, the pairings, the music, like what the judges She didn't stick her pot of beret. (laughs) (laughs) She messed it up so bad. Yes. So like a million people would like look for my spoilers. And that was like my first sort of understanding of like, oh, the world is so much bigger than you realize. And you have the power to communicate with all those people if you want. And then I've always been into politics. I've always been into organizing. Like, I have, like, a weird – if you look at, like, 
eight-year-old Jess's reading list, it would be like all this like civil rights stuff and like <laughs> resistors who stood up against, you know, in the Holocaust, like proto-feminist like books. I mean, like really like my parents were bizarre. I don't even know that they knew what community organizing was. I think they probably just like wanted me to learn about people that were different than the people that were in my right. community. And so I just was like obsessed, obsessed as a kid with like the civil rights movement and also specifically like people who helped Jews escape the Holocaust. How does one even make their way into political organizing, though? It was hard. I mean, I grew up in like a working class neighborhood. California? In Cal- yep, Los Angeles. Oh, Norwalk, California specifically. My dad's one of 10. Basically, all of his siblings were like the first ones to go to college. My mom didn't go to college. I don't think any of her siblings went to college. She's one of seven. And both sides of your family, multi-generation, Mexican-American. Mm-hmm. My dad's second. My mom's third. And... I didn't know anybody in politics. Like, I didn't know anybody in my, like, even if you went out to, like, our friends of friends or, you know, friends of friends of friends, I, I probably wouldn't have gotten anybody in politics. So I just, from a really young age, is all I wanted to be a part of. Like, I remember watching, like, the presidential debates between Al Gore and George W. Bush and my mom being like, you're not allowed to support Democrats and me being like, well, you're wrong. At a really young age, like, I can, like, tell you exactly what Hillary Clinton was wearing and what her, like, hair was like during the Beijing, like, China speech. And I was, like, a very small child when she gave that speech. Like, yeah, I just, I just, it calls to me so deeply. So I always, always wanted to be a part of it. I thought the stuff I was doing in college would really, like, help me get a job right away. Not so much. (laughs) Not not so much. And I spent a year and a half, like, applying to any job I could think of, like, doing informational interviews. And it turns out that, like, you just – you really have to know people. Mm -hmm. And you usually have to have done some internships. We were not like that. I went home and worked during the summers, and that was the money that I could live on during the year. So free internships, like, somewhere else. We couldn't afford it. So for me, I ended up going to the training program of this group called the New Organizing Institute, which is now sadly defunct. But at the time was a really important training institute that got a lot of people kind of got their start. They had the signature training called Boot Camp. And Boot Camp was like a feeder for a bunch of organizations and campaigns to then hire kind of their entry level staff. So it took me a long time, but once I went to that training and did pretty well at that training, it kind of took a few more months, but then I eventually got my very first job, which was actually being the training associate for that next year boot camp class. Hmm. And then I met one of the trainers there. She was really impressed with me, and she ended up finally like hiring me, and sort of the rest kind of happened from there. During the Clinton campaign, supporters would get text messages saying, hi, It's Jess. Mm -hmm. And those text messages were from you. Mm -hmm. Did people respond? Oh, my gosh. Like, actually, I say that it's like the most intimate form of messaging because what we would get back was like people who accidentally message us when they were saying stuff like, I'll be home late. My flight's delayed. (laughs) One of my favorite things is that people would find me and be like, you text me like more than my boyfriend does. (laughs) Like. You text me literally more than anyone in my life. Be like, well, it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> it's really important. Um, election night 2016. You dedicated more than a year of your life to helping Hillary Clinton become president. What do you remember about that day? The day was amazing. I walk into headquarters and see like a, a friend who had done a little bit of work with the campaign 
And he's like, oh, I'm so glad I get to start my day with you. Like, we're going to make history. And I'm totally going to cry shit. <laughs> um, and my husband had written me a note. Um, he, like, wrote me a series of notes for the last 30 days of the campaign. And he wrote me a note that said, today, some of history will have your handwriting on it. And I thought about that all day long. And, I mean, I still think that's he wasn't wrong, even in the terrible outcome. But, like, one thing that I think people think is that, like, we just walked around being like, we're going to win all the time. Like, you don't, like, you don't do that on a campaign. <laughs> it just doesn't work like that. Um, we knew that polls were a lot tighter than people thought. And, like, this was one of those moments where I was like, okay, I am a person who has the power to, like, move people today. I'm a person who has the power to, like, tell millions of people to stay in line when there's long lines at the polls. And then results start coming in. They're not going quite the way that we thought. And it's getting later and later, and it's looking scarier and scarier. And did you know in your gut? Yeah. So I always tell people two things. So one is that um, we still have never elected the first female president of the United States. And it doesn't matter who it was. It was always going to be hard. But the second thing is that we've also never elected a Democratic president after a two-term Democratic incumbency. So that was also going to be difficult, even if she wasn't the first female president. So I was never a person who, like, thought that it was in the bag. Like, if it was in the bag, it would have been easier (laughs) the whole time. But at what point in the night did you know definitively this is done? When the Florida polls closed and they started counting Florida, that's when it started to look pretty scary. But I think that a lot of people almost didn't believe that that was possible. Mm-hmm. that she could lose. And so I went to bed that night at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I thought that they sent me home because they were like, you might have to do provisional ballots. You might need to lead provisional mm-hmm. ballot chase in the morning. So go to bed because, yeah. like, we need somebody. That night things felt undone. On our side, I think that there was a little bit of, like, how did this happen? Did it actually happen? Voter suppression is real. <laughs> we knew that that was a problem. Um and I do think a little bit of disbelief. Yeah. I think, uh, like, there's no way this could happen. Right? Isn't that one of the stages of grief? I think so. And it did feel, I think people forget this too, it felt so ominous that next day. Like, it just felt like, for me, it just felt like there was, like, a curtain over everything. And, like, I didn't know what to do. Like, what what do we do next? Was there any part of you that thought, I'm done with politics? No. I did feel like I need to take a break and get my shit together. I had 80 staff members that needed to get jobs. I needed a job. So it was just like, okay, you need to get in a good enough shape that you can do what you're here to do. And that is like, change the world. And now it's just going to be a lot harder than you thought. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind, knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. 
There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size 8. And now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. If you are as busy as I am, then I have a life hack for you. I've recently been enjoying Green Chef. It's a USDA certified organic company, and they have a diverse array of meal plans with plenty of options to choose from each week. You can choose paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean, heart smart, lean and clean, keto, gluten free, and omnivore. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash Latina. Their recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef's tips, and photos to guide you along. This week, I made my husband and kiddo salmon and piccata sauce. It tasted fresh and delicious, and my daughter might have even eaten the sauce with a spoon. Best of all, everything is hand-picked and delivered right to your door, so no more decision fatigue. Let Green Chef do the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you. For $50 off your first box of Green Chef, go to greenchef.us slash Latina. If you have a little one in your life, I'm guessing you have a Paw Patrol fan on your hands. So get excited. There's a brand new episode Monday, March 4th on Nickelodeon featuring Tracker, the jungle pup who, wait for it, speaks Spanish. One moment. I hear a banana being peeled and the ting-ting of something metal banging against a tree trunk. I like watching Paw Patrol with my daughter because each episode has great lessons about bravery, but things never get too scary. You and your little Paw Patrol fan won't want to miss Tracker, the Spanish-speaking pup. Catch a brand new episode on March 4th on Nickelodeon at 12, 11 Central. You're now the co-chair of Families Belong Together, which is a campaign to fight family separation. How is that work similar and different in nature from an electoral campaign? Yeah, you ask really good questions. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's in some ways it's the same because you have a goal and you're trying to like move everyone towards that goal. 
And in the case of both of them, there's like a real urgency. And it like and there's you're an expiration date. Towards a deadline. Exactly. Yeah. In some ways, family separation was like that. That sort of moment this summer at the border was like that because this policy got put into effect and then immediately thousands of families were separated and we wanted to end that practice as soon as possible. Right. The challenge with family separation is getting the policy to end was not the end point. Nope. Nope. It wasn't. People who work on immigration are not always expecting to like win, right? Probably because it's so complicated, there isn't always like a clear win. In our case, we had one clear win very early on, which is that we were trying to get them to end the zero tolerance policy. And that was very helpful and clarifying. And then there's also like the 100% understanding that you can't trust the Trump administration on immigration policy and that ending the zero tolerance policy did not mean that families wouldn't be separated or that all these families be reunited. It is a challenge to engage in deeply emotional work and know that the people that you're engaging in that right. work with and for, actually it's way more emotional right. and difficult for them, right? right? And also to try to galvanize as many people as possible for something that could go for a very long time. Well, especially because this in particular, I mean, you have the politics of it happening, Mm -hmm. which are, you know, what Republicans and Democrats are fighting about, which is like up here. And you have the policy piece of it, which is the both the policy of separating parents and their children and the policy for how you're going to handle that fallout. You have a humanitarian crisis where you have mothers searching for their children and children searching for their mothers. And also just direct services yep. at the border that are trying to get people in clothing and get them fed. And Diapers, shoes. Uh-huh. I mean, where do you even start? Yeah. I mean, there was just like a cadre of like amazing women of color and we all just like buckled down. It was like, all right, you're taking legal and you're taking media and you're taking ledge. And, you're, you know, I think that was also partly what made it work is that everybody was really clear about where we were hmm. kind of running towards. I knew that we'd hit a tipping point when my apolitical friends were sending BCC emails, either asking for goods to be sent to shelters. or And, and every email started with, you know I'm not a political person, but I am a mom. Yeah. And that's when I was like, this is Whoa. different. Yeah. There was a moment. So right before, on June 30th, we had 799 rallies all around the country, something like that, over 700, which is one of the largest pro-immigrant protests in the history of American country of this country. I think part of the reason there was such a visceral response was because we saw such incredible images. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know that I can talk about this without crying, but all of those videos of kids being reunited with their parents and rejecting their parents, yeah. not recognizing their parents. For you, who I have to imagine has spent some time on the ground, is there one image or one experience that sticks with you? Yeah, on Father's Day, we did a vigil um, outside of kind of one of the main detention centers where they were holding most of the children. And um, it was for a father who had killed himself in detention because of being separated from his family. And as we're doing the vigil, the detention center is in front of us, and a bus comes out of the detention center. The bus is a caged bus. It's just full of cages, and there are children inside the cages. And they put their hands we started, you know, we were just like losing our minds and we're saying, no, I'm solo. You're not alone. And they put their hands on the windows of the bus and they drove away. And I was like already like very committed to that work. And in that moment, I 
I think like I became like it was like tattooed on me in some way like there's just no I like challenge literally any person to experience that and feel like this is humane or just or like you can look away like you just can't look away it's oh oh I'll never forget that they were little they were really small hands so there's clearly an emotional toll to doing this work What else does this demand of you? Um, Okay, so I think of myself as an extremely optimistic person. Like, I don't think you can get up every day and do this work unless you believe deeply that impossible things are completely possible and that you are the person who should try to make them possible. And I think it is actually very difficult to maintain optimism in this current moment doing this work because this is work that demands your full heart. If you're not bringing that to it, like, listen, there are way better hours, way better pay, way better conditions than basically any other industry. Okay, but what I don't understand, this is one of your jobs. <laughs> so you're also political director yep. for the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Yep. What is that work? And when are you doing it? <laughs> Implicit in that, like, sort of question is always, like, how do you, like, balance? And the answer is, like, I don't balance. I work, like, all the time. Most of the time I don't take weekends off. I spend at least two to three days a week on the road. It turns out when you work like 150 hours a week, you can get a lot done. And I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I think you're supposed to sort of be like, oh, I'm so efficient. It's just like really good time management, like in frequent flyer miles. Like, no, it's not. I work all the time. Um, also, is like your house messy? I like Marie kondo a couple years ago because I read the book instead uh-huh. of watching a TV show. And like that helped me out a lot. But like, yeah, occasionally I'll come home and be like, oh, it's been three weeks since like a, like any broom has touched the surfaces of these floors. Um, And so tell me about the work with National Domestic Workers. Yeah. So my job as political director is to build out our kind of electoral and legislative arms. So we did the very first kind of big project of that last year in Georgia to elect C.C. Abrams governor. Came up a little bit short. Also an emotional election night and an emotional two weeks afterwards. But we had the largest one of the largest programs on the ground to elect Stacey. Because when we talk about a national, a domestic worker, mm-hmm. who are we talking about? Nannies, house cleaners, and elder care workers that work in your homes. And so majority women, majority women of color. Yeah, like 99% of both of those things. Um, lots of immigrants as well. Less than most people think, but like a, a very heavy immigrant population. So what we did was Georgia is where we have a, a big base and um, Stacey's candidacy was a historic candidacy. It was kind of the perfect mix of two things. So we built a huge on-the-ground operation, hundreds of canvassers. We had over half a million, we talked to half a million voters about why they should vote for Stacey and also candidates down ballot. Um, I mean, we also employed our workers as canvassers, which most people do not do. And it was kind of amazing. Like, I don't think anybody had ever, I don't think if you're looking around like, who are big political forces in America? You're thinking about the domestic workers. But like, that's kind of my mandate is like, how do we make people understand that the future of politics should be low-age women. It should be immigrant women. It should be women of color, especially black women. That's what we're trying to do. And in Georgia, I think we had a really, really good kind of proof of concept of like, yes, it's totally possible. Here is a line I have ripped from your LinkedIn bio. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for someone to tell you what you want to hear, you've come to the wrong place. And I feel like I'm about to get that treatment on my next set of questions. Typically, political wisdom says that Latinos favor Democrats and voting history backs that up. But is the narrative actually more complicated? Definitely, especially among Latino men. I mean, like, they're much more conservative than we realize. They were one of the most vulnerable groups to 
being persuaded by the Trump message in 16. And I am extremely worried about what happens in 20. It's, do you think that's because they become acculturated? Do you think that is the economic aspiration? I mean, what do you think drives that? I definitely think it's economic aspiration. I think there is like some of the dregs of machismo that they're responding to in Trump in particular. I think they really like that Trump is a businessman. Really, really like that. Um, so it's a it's a my hope is that the terrible immigration policy will have changed that. But I, I, I think people think Latino, you're not voting. Donald Trump and I that's just not true. Jess, thank you so much. Thank you. This is the win. Thanks for joining us today. Latina to Latina was originally co-created with Bustle. Now the podcast is owned and executive produced by Juleka Lantigua Williams and me. Maria Muriel was the sound designer on this episode. We want to hear from you. Tell us who you want to hear from and how you're making the show a part of your life. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.